Praise the Lord. Well, Cheryl, you got blessed by your mom. <laughs> it was great. Just let me just say it was great, all right? If it wasn't great, we would have stopped you. No. Honestly, you did wonderful. We just appreciate that. And um, we're just so grateful that God, the people are listening to God and doing such amazing things. And that's what it's all about, right? It's about... You influencing people in your life where you move, that's what, it's, that's what it's all about. So good. All right, are we good? Ready to go? All right, let's get going with it. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Why don't we stand and I'll open in prayer. Father, as we go to your word today, we ask for that anointing to, to teach and to prophesy, Holy Spirit, uh, so that people will be able to hear clearly what you're saying, open their hearts and minds. These are hungry people. They want to know the truth that's occurred in the Word and that uh, what's going to happen as well. So we thank you, Lord, that you'll bring forth your Scriptures in truth and in power and in revelation, and we will understand clearly what you're saying in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So, prophetic insight to 2022, part four. What are we going to do today? What are we going to discuss today? Well, we're going to actually look back um, at history in the Scripture, and we're going to see what has been fulfilled and what was fulfilled prophetically, what God said was going to happen and actually happened. And it's a remarkable because what I say today is going to lay the foundation for next Sunday. All right? So please listen intently, and you'll probably have to go back and re-listen, make notes, because I'm going to be saying a lot. What are we going to look at today is we're going to look at the four feasts that uh, occurred in the spring of the year, and then how that they foreshadowed Jesus' first coming. And then we'll also look at two powerful signs that we didn't have time to look at last week when we dealt with the Passover feast. And then I'm going to show you how Jewish matzah predicted what would happen to Jesus. And also why the first harvest was so significant when the Israelites came into the promised land. Why was that first harvest so powerful and with such significance? Then um, we will also look at the Feast um, of Weeks and how that, that signified the commencement of the dispensation of grace. Might be a, a lot to take in, but we'll, we'll get to it, all right? Let's go back and read our scripture that we started with last week in Genesis chapter 1, verse 14. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. Last week, I let you know that the word signs is the Greek word oath. And it means a 
signal or a signpost. And then also the word seasons is the Hebrew word moed, and it means a feast or a divine appointment. Appointment beforehand, set by God. So God created the stars, the moon, and the sun, all as a signpost, literally for signs, so that he could speak about divine appointments beforehand that he had with mankind. This is what he wanted to do. Also, I mentioned to you that the scripture refers to the feasts as a holy convocation. And that word convocation means a public meeting or a rehearsal. I said, think about a dress rehearsal, and you'll understand what a convocation is. When they came together, it was a dress rehearsal. Now, God gave Moses seven feasts, and he gave them, and he said, you need to celebrate these feasts in this order. So the order is very, very important. The first of these feasts was Passover, followed by unleavened bread, then first fruits, followed by Pentecost, then the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and finally, Tabernacles. Now, each one of these feasts foreshadowed Jesus as the Messiah. And if, if the Jews had just realized for a moment the significance of what was happening, especially when Jesus came, they should have been able to put the dots together. They should have been able to, to you know, follow what God had said. Now, the first four feasts mentioned there, Passover, Unleavened Bread, First Fruits, and Pentecost, they were the spring feasts. So they always happened in the beginning of the year, the spring feasts. And they foreshadowed Jesus' first coming. His first coming. The one that's already occurred. So now it's actually very easy for us to go back and to have a look at those feasts and compare it with historical Jesus. We know what happened when Jesus came, and so it's very easy for us to connect the dots. We know this. On the Feast of Passover, Jesus was what? Crucified. On unleavened bread, what happened? He was buried. On first fruits, are you going to help me, or, or is just me and Cindy going to do this on our own? Okay, so first fruits is what? The resurrection. And then Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the first believers in the earth. Now, having said that, we have three feasts that are still to come. These feasts occur in the fall, and they are the trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, since the first four feasts have been fulfilled exactly by Jesus on the day of the feast, as it was described. What do you think the chances are of the next three feasts being fulfilled exactly as they have been prescribed? I believe they will. They will. What is going to happen? On the Feast of Trumpets, Jesus is going to return. It's going to be the rapture. Jesus is going to return. The dead in Christ, the bride of Christ, is going to rise out of the dead. The resurrection is going to take place. And they're going to be caught up to be with the Lord. Then the Feast of Trumpets, after following the Feast of Trumpets, we're going to have the Day of Atonement. Now, I don't want to get ahead of myself because I want to leave that for, for, for next week. But the Feast of Atonement is where 
the Jews actually atone for their sins. They come in, in, in repentance of their sins. And also, at the Feast of Atonement, we have great judgment occurring. And we'll deal with that next week. And then finally, the Feast of Tabernacles. Feast of Tabernacles is the commencement of the millennium. This is the thousand-year reign where Jesus is here on the earth tabernacling with man, living with man. Now, last week, we looked at the Feast of the Passover. And, uh, you know, I just want to say this, that the Passover has been celebrated for 3,000 334 years. Let me say it again. 3,334 years since Israel was delivered out of Egypt. They celebrated the Passover on the 14th day of Nisan. Nisan is the first month in their calendar, and it corresponds to our March or April. But it is not the beginning of their year. Okay? It's not the beginning of their year. The beginning of their year ties up with September for us. That is where the Feast of Trumpets occurs. So the beginning of the Jewish year happens in September. But Nisan is their first month. I know it's confusing. (laughs) Don't worry. Don't, Don't have to understand all that. But the thing is this. At that Passover feast, a spotless lamb had to be sacrificed. And that occurred on the 14th day of Nisan right in the middle of the month. And that is the exact day that Jesus was crucified, the 14th day of Nisan. Jesus was the spotless lamb, the sinless lamb, and that is why when the Jews were told to sacrifice a lamb, it had to be a spotless lamb without blemish, as Jesus was without sin, the very day. So God the Creator predicted, planned, prophesied, if you like, the exact day, the exact hour that His Son would be crucified on our behalf and take our sins and the sin of the world. And as you know, He also wrote the songs through Prophet David that they would sing over that weekend. So, exceptionally well planned. Here are the two scriptures. I just want to finish off on the the uh, Passover, in Matthew 27, I want to discuss the two things that happened that we didn't discuss last week. Matthew 27, 45, from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. Now, if you know the Jewish calendar, what is the sixth hour? It is midday. The sixth hour is midday. Nine o'clock is, nine o'clock is three. This is the sixth hour. It's the middle of the day. The ninth hour is the 3 o'clock in the afternoon. It said the ninth hour darkness. So from midday till 3, darkness came over the land. And verse 50, And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, He gave up His spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to the bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks split. Now, <clears throat> I mentioned last week, it's just an amazing thing, that one of the uh, actions of mourning that Jews do when someone dies, that they will rip their clothes before they bury the person. So they hear about the death, they rip the clothes. And I aligned that with the tearing of this temple uh, uh, curtain so that God himself 
ripped his clothing to show his mourning and his broken heart for his son before they buried him. They hadn't buried him yet. It was when he died. That's when he ripped his garments. So the two additional signs I want to look at, the first one is in the verse 45 when it says it went dark. It went dark from 12 noon till 3 o'clock. Here is the kicker. It was not a solar eclipse. Most people read it and they think, oh, there was a solar eclipse that occurred. There's no solar eclipse that occurred. In fact, you can go back in NASA's uh, website and you can trace all the way back to there. And if there was one, it would have been recorded. There's no solar eclipse. Now, this is a good reason for the fact that there's no solar eclipse. Because there cannot be a solar eclipse. There cannot be a solar eclipse. Listen now. During the, uh, well, let me reverse that. The solar eclipse can only happen at the new moon. And in the middle of the month, it's a full moon. Fourteen days later, it's a full moon. See, the full moon is the only time we can have a blood moon. We don't have a blood moon at the beginning of the month where it's a new moon. All right? So the solar eclipse, then, of the sun can only occur during the new moon phase, not during the full moon phase. This is the 14th day, it's the middle of the month, so a solar eclipse cannot occur. So that's the first thing. The second thing is this, that if you look back in history, the duration of an eclipse is anywhere between one minute and seven minutes. Now there's been, some have been a little longer, some have been only seconds, but there has never been an eclipse for three hours. Never been one. Okay? So this eclipse... Sorry, this darkening of the world was actually a Genesis 1.14 sign. Where God said he has put in the earth, the moon, the stars, and the sun, for signs. So he can communicate from his heavenly billboard something to earth. And that's what he did. He stopped the sun from shining for three hours. Maybe put his hand over it. I don't know. But he certainly blotted out. It was completely dark. The second sign I want to talk about that also happened at Passover was in this verse 50, 51, in fact, where we see that the earth shook and the rocks split. The rocks split. Now, we also know that at that time, another scripture says that the graves opened up, but the dead did not come out until after Jesus was resurrected. Because he was the first fruits of the resurrection. So the dead remained there, but the graves opened up. And we don't want to go into that. That's another aspect altogether. But the rocks split from the earthquake. Do rocks split at earthquakes? Burst all over the place? No. So what happened? This is what I believe happened. I believe it was from the violence of the sin of the world entering into Jesus' spirit. Remember... When he died is when the sin hit. And I believe that's what happened. The violence of the world's sin entered in at that time, and it was so impactful that the rocks actually split. The earth couldn't contain themselves. The earth couldn't take it when the Savior, God himself, had the sin of the world penetrate him. And that's why Jesus said at that time, my God... My God, why have you 
forsaken me. You see, for the very first time in Jesus' life, and remember he'd been with the Father from all eternity, came to earth as the Word, took on flesh, for the very first time in all eternity, he was separated from the Father. He was separated. How do I know that? Well, the Scripture says in Isaiah 59, I don't have it here for you, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear you. I believe during that time of darkness in the earth, God the Father actually turned his back on his son and couldn't bear to even look at the son. He was hanging on the cross. Earth had rejected him and hung him on the cross and heaven couldn't receive him. He was in no man's land. He was between heaven and earth. Nobody wanted him. The earth exploded. And he called out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He did that for you and me. He was rejected so that we could be accepted. He took our sin so we could be righteous. He took our sickness so we could be healed. He was the perfect sacrifice, the sinless sacrifice. Now let's move to the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is the very next feast. And we go back and read Leviticus 23 and verse 4. Now these are the Lord's appointed feasts. Notice that word appointed? Appointed feasts. The sacred assemblies. There it is. You are to proclaim at their appointed times. The Lord's Passover begins at twilight on the 14th day of the first month. See, Nisan is the first month. And on the 15th day of the month, the Lord's Feast of Unleavened Bread begins. So the very next day after Passover, unleavened bread begins. It lasts for seven days, and you must eat bread made without yeast. So yeast represents sin. Now, Jesus' body was taken off the cross before the Sabbath began. They weren't allowed to leave the body on the cross during the Sabbath. So they took the body of Jesus off the cross and buried it immediately. As you know, the Bible says it was wrapped in a cloth and was buried in Joseph Arimathea's tomb, which was a, borrow, a borrowed tomb anyway. So on the day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, it's a seven-day feast, the day that feast begins is on the Sabbath day. It was that time that Jesus was buried. Jesus was buried on the exact same day as all the firstborn of Egypt that died when the angel of death passed over Israel who had the blood on them. The next day they, they buried their eldest child or animal. Happened the very next day. Jesus was buried on exactly the same day. Now, unleavened bread is what they ate the night of the Passover. Moses gave them instructions. You take the blemished, unblemished lamb, you kill it, use the blood on the doorposts, and you cook the lamb, and you eat it with bitter herbs, and you eat it with what we know today as matzah, which is unleavened bread. Leaven speaks of error or sin. And so you're to eat bread without sin. Also, leaven 
is yeast. That's what causes the bread to rise. But as you know, it takes time for bread to rise. They had no time to wait. They were told to eat dressed ready for travel. That's how you're going. Get dressed. Get ready. You don't have time to wait for the bread to rise. You have to eat it that night as it is, unleavened. But it also was symbolic of Jesus being, um, you know, without sin. So let me show you a picture. If you don't know what matzah looks like, this is a picture of what matzah looks like. I hope you can see that. Let's dim the lights just a moment and see if we get a better look at it. Dim the lights, see if you can get a better look at it. Uh, you're not seeing it very well. I'm, I'm sorry that that came out that way because uh, I had a different picture that I sent. I had a picture of three pieces of matzah, and that is five or six, seven pieces. So it's not a good picture. I sent a different picture. Okay, lights up. Um, in the picture that I sent, you can see, keep it up, even though it's not good. In the picture I sent, you'd be able to see that the matzah actually had strips on it. Strips on it. So it was made with stripes on the bread. It was made with stripes. And uh, the Bible says that by the stripes of Jesus, we're healed. By the stripes of Jesus, we're healed. Also, in the picture of the matzah bread, you would have been able to see tiny holes between the rows. There was rows and stripes, and there were tiny holes that went in between. Those holes, they actually pierced the bread to make those holes. And the Scripture says, they punctured it, the Scripture says, they will look upon me, Zechariah 12.10, they will look upon me whom they have pierced. So the bread, matzah bread, unleavened, without sin, with stripes on it, and pierced. But wait, there's more. On the night of the ceremony, it has been celebrated since then, what they would do is they would take three wafers of matzah, and they would put them down on the table, and then they believed it was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then they would take the centerpiece, the center wafer, they would break it, and they would wrap it in a cloth, and then they would hide it somewhere in the house overnight. And the next morning, the children would look for it, and it would reappear like the resurrection. You see, they thought they were breaking Isaac because Isaac symbolizes the Messiah. Do you remember when Abraham offered up Isaac? And then he was saved, and a ram was found. So Isaac is symbolic of Jesus. But they were breaking Isaac's body, but they didn't know why they were breaking his body. You see, in reality, it was the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they were breaking Jesus' body, and they were wrapping it in the cloth, and they were putting it in the tomb. They were hiding it. And then the next day, he was raised from the dead. The matzah speaks about Jesus in a miraculous way. Amen? Amen? Now, at the Last Supper, you remember this? The very Last Supper, Jesus took the bread, and He broke the bread, and He gave it to His disciples. And what did He say to His disciples? 
Yep. He took the bread and he said, and he gave thanks and he said to them, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So he took the bread and he broke it just like they had been doing for centuries. And he said, this is my body. So he confirmed on that Passover meal. Remember, he told the disciples where to go and prepare the Passover meal. They were having the Passover meal when Jesus took the bread and broke it and said, this is my body. Exact confirmation of what had happened thousands of years ago. And if that wasn't enough, he actually said to them, I am the bread of life. That's what he said. And remember, he said, your fathers ate the manna that fell from heaven. But he said, I am the bread that has come down from heaven. I am the bread of life. He called himself the bread so that you would understand what he was talking about and how his body was broken. He was the sinless sacrifice, the unleavened bread. But wait, there's more. At the feast of Passover, tradition says there were four cups. Three cups were filled with wine. One cup was turned upside down, empty. It was for the Messiah. So they didn't touch it. They were waiting for the Messiah. That night, Jesus took that cup, not the other three, filled with wine, and gave it to them and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This cup, not those three, this cup. So the uh, feast of Passover was absolutely fulfilled in every single detail through Jesus' death. Completely fulfilled. Now, let's have a look at the Feast of First Fruits. In Leviticus 23 and verse 10, God says, Speak to the Israelites, Moses, and say to them, When you enter the land I'm going to give you, and you reap its harvest, bring to the priests a sheaf of first grain you harvest. He used to wave the sheaf before the Lord so it will be accepted on your behalf. The priest is to wave it on the day after. Everybody say after. You are to wave it on the day after the Sabbath. Not on the Sabbath, on the day after. So, <clears throat> What does the promised land symbolize? We've, we've mentioned this at Bible College. What does it symbolize? Many people think the promised land symbolizes heaven. But it doesn't. Because they fought wars all the time in the promised land, didn't they? There's going to be no war in heaven. There's no devil. There's no sickness. There's none of that going on in there. So it symbolizes the new life, the, the born-again life that we are now living. We're now living in a time where we have to deal with wars, enemies coming against us, we have to hear God, and so on and so forth. This is the time of building. The promised land was a time of them building and sowing and harvesting and living it out. That's where we are right now. So for, for God to tell them, you must bring a portion of the harvest when you get into the promised land. So the promised land represents the born-again experienced experience. Therefore, the harvest must represent 
Who? Believers. The harvest has got to represent us. It's, it is symbolic. We're in the promised land. Who is being harvested from the promised land? The believers. You with me so far? Now, what he said is you must bring them the harvest into the temple, wave it before God that they might be accepted. Oh, Jesus. Maybe it's just me. We've been accepted in the beloved. Are you hearing me? We've been accepted in the beloved. Okay? We've been waved before God in His courts. We've been accepted in the beloved. We're the harvest from the promised land. Now, here's the thing. Let's go, let's peel off another layer and go a little deeper. He said, bring the very first portion of the first grain harvest. He didn't say bring the grain harvest. He said, bring the very first portion of the grain harvest. Now, just, just remember this. They were 40 years in the desert. They can't sow their crop. They don't know when they're going to go. If the cloud moves, they move. If the fire by night moves, they move. They don't have time to plow the land and plant. So they were carrying with them the seed that was going to be planted in the promised land. They were carrying with it for 40 years. For 40 years, they had the seed. Hear me now, child of God. You're carrying the seed of the word in you and with you. And you need to make sure that you plant it. You're in the promised land. Gosh, you better plant your seed. And you better plant it in your heart so you can produce a harvest. You have to stop carrying it. Now, you see, you know what happened is they, they sowed their grain uh, seed. And when they harvested, the manna stopped. The manna kept going, supernatural supply, until the harvest was ready and ripe. Now, he said, bring the very first, the very first portion of your grain harvest, your first harvest, very first portion. Who does that represent? Jesus. Jesus. He is the first born again from the dead. He is the first resurrected. The very first portion of the first grain harvest. Bring this before the Lord in thankful worship. We worship God because of Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Now, this is what the Scripture says. On the first day of the week, after the Sabbath. What day? That's right. On which the Feast of Unleavened Bread started. It's got to be Sunday following the Passover, Passover, Sabbath, Saturday, Sunday. The very first day after the Sabbath on which the Feast of Unleavened Bread started. The Feast of Unleavened Bread started, are you with me? On the Sabbath. On the Sabbath. The Saturday. That's when it started. I hope it's not too complicated for you. Now he says, on the very first day of the week, after the Sabbath, which would be Sunday, on which the first, uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread started, the Feast of First Fruits was to be celebrated, and it is marking the beginning of the grain harvest. 
So the Feast of First Fruits was to be celebrated on the Sunday. Sunday is the day that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. So that marks the beginning of the fir- or the first fruits feast, and it is the resurrection of Jesus. I said to you, every single, every single feast it speaks exactly and fulfilled exactly by Jesus. That's the day we celebrate it. Now, Jesus, I've already said, was the first fruits of those to be raised from the dead. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and 23. But each to his own, Christ the first fruits. Then, then when he comes, those who belong to him. So we will be the second fruit. We'll be part of the same fruit. So Jesus' resurrection is the fulfillment of the feast of first fruits. You think you can handle the, the last feast? All right, we'll do the last feast, the, the Pentecost feast, all right? So the Feast of Pentecost, also known as Shavuot, or the Feast of Weeks. Now, <clears throat> the day after first fruits, remember, first fruits was on Sunday. The day after the first fruits were waved before the Lord as an offering, the Israelites were to count seven weeks. They used Sabbaths to count. So seven Sabbaths were to be counted. Seven Sabbaths plus the day after makes 50. So 50 days. 50 is made up of two numbers. The five represents grace. Five represents grace. And zero represents new beginning. Remember, nine represents the end of an era, and the zero begins something new. So five zero New beginning, grace. The dispensation of grace was to start. This was being foretold years and years and years before. Now, they were told to celebrate Shavat or the Feast of Weeks, also called Pentecost. Pente simply means 50. Pentecost simply means 50. Pentecost doesn't mean spirit. People say, I'm Pentecostal. It's come to mean when you say you're Pentecostal means you're spirit. You've got something to do with the spirit. Yeah. Pentecost means 50. Yeah. That's what it means. So we've come to say because the spirit was poured out on that day and we believe in the spirit, we're Pentecostal. So now we've made a new religion out of the feast. <laughs> do you know that the book of Acts was not the first time that Pentecost was celebrated? Just for those who thought that, oh, look here, yeah, feast, that Pentecost, Holy Spirit came, they called it Pentecost. No, no, the exact opposite is true. For 1,500 years before Pentecost, 2,000 years ago, so for 1,500 years plus 2,500, for 1,500 years they'd celebrated Pentecost 50 days after the Feast of Unleavened Bread and First Fruits. It's been celebrated for 1,500 years. So let's read. Leviticus 23, 15. From the day after the Sabbath, that will be Sunday, the day you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, count off seven full weeks, 
count off 50 days up to the day after the seventh Sabbath and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. From wherever you live, bring two loaves made of two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour baked with yeast. Now watch this. As a wave offering of first fruits to the Lord. So the bread was made from the first fruits of the harvest. This time they had to put yeast into it. So this, you have to go back to the first fruits, that harvest, take the first portion. That is what you're going to make the offering out of. 50 days later, you're going to make bread. But this time you're going to put yeast into it. Now, if yeast represents sin and error, why would you want to put on the day of the Feast of Pentecost, why would you want to put sin into the bread? Why would you want to put yeast into the bread? And what is it with the two loaves? There's much more I could say about it. I'm just going to stick with that. There's, there's a whole bunch of other stuff I could say. But let me just say this. Nobody was born again until the Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost. They were exercising faith in Jesus, but they weren't born again. And also, Jew and Gentile were two separate groups. The two loaves represent two groups, the Jews and the Gentiles. And both had sin. But they come before God on that day and become one by the Spirit and the church of Jesus Christ is born and we're declared righteous and forgiven of all sin. At the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That's how important it was. So let's look at the day of Pentecost. In Acts 2 verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, had you not ever wondered why they said the day of Pentecost had fully come? Because you know, it had to be complete, started all the way. And you know that their days always start at 6 o'clock on the night before. Not at 6 o'clock in the morning at sunrise, but at sunset, 6 o'clock in the evening. So now the day had fully come. Next day, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, a sound, not a wind. A sound as of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting, and there appeared to them divided tongues of fire, and one sat on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now some people who heard this, there was two million people in Jerusalem at the time, and people heard this commotion and heard them speaking in tongues. And people, if you've ever come into our early morning prayer meeting or P3, and you are not filled with the Spirit, or you don't know anything about it, you swear we're all drunk. <laughs> and some of us are. But you think, these people are crazy. What's going on? They're all jabbering off about something. I can't understand a thing they're saying. Well, that's what happened on the day of Pentecost. They got filled with the Holy Ghost. And they began speaking in heavenly languages. And then a miracle happened. And I don't have time to explain this. I don't have time to explain it except to say this. They were not speaking in the language of the 120 nations. 
The 120 nations were having a miracle hearing. I can guarantee you if we had 70 people at P3, we all start speaking in different languages. And I would stand here and I could speak Afrikaans and there was somebody standing on the back over there speaking Afrikaans, I wouldn't hear them. And if you could speak Greek and you're standing here and somebody five rows to the back was speaking Greek, I'd hear them. You wouldn't be able to hear it. You wouldn't be able to understand it. Because there's too much noise going on, 120 people speaking, and there's millions of people now mulling around to hear. So God was supernaturally opening their ears to understand what they were saying. That, what was, that is exactly what was happening. So people turned around and said they drunk. They drunk. And they were, certainly looked drunk. They were falling all over the place. But Peter stands up and he says this in Acts 2.15. These are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. What time is the third hour of the day? 9 a.m. What is significant about the Holy Spirit being poured out at 9 a.m.? Because it was the time of the morning sacrifice. Exactly, the time of the morning sacrifice. And it is also known as the Feast of Weeks or known as the Feast of Harvest. Pentecost is known as the Feast of Harvest. The greatest harvest ever began at the day of Pentecost. When Moses, when Moses came down the mountain the first time with the Ten Commandments, remember that? There were clay, and he had the Ten Commandments written on them. I always say this. He came down, he got so angry when he saw them worshipping the, the golden calf and everything um, that he threw the commandments down, and he was the first person to break all ten. <laughs> and he, he was so angry, God then killed 3,000 people that day worshiping the golden calf. And Moses said, choose who you're with, that side or this side. He then went up the mountain again, this time to atone for their sin. He went to beg God to forgive them. Would you forgive them? And God said, no, I'm going to kill them. And I'm going to start a new nation with you. And Moses argued God out of it. And he said, what would they say about you if you did that? Don't do that. Blot my name out. Blot my name out, but save them. That was Jesus. Hello. Speak to me, somebody. That was Jesus. Take my name out, but save them. Let, let me die in sin, but save them. He comes down. 40 days later, he's got the Ten Commandments again. He comes down again, and I'll tell you the rest of that next week. I don't have him running out of time. Look at the time. I got five minutes. I got to speak in shorthand. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is poured out on the day of Pentecost. How many people got saved on the day of Pentecost? How many people that died on the judgment of the golden calf? 3,000. 3,000 died? 3,000 live. A new commencement. A new commencement. Remember this the law was brought down. 3,000 people died. Grace came down. 3,000 people live. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Great harvest had begun. I believe you can see that God fulfilled the spring feasts exactly in the order to the very day, to the very hour. Jesus and his first coming fulfilled all of them. They were dress rehearsals. He died at Passover. 
He was buried during unleavened bread. He raised during the first fruits and then the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Surely, if he did that, he will fulfill the four feasts, the three that are still to come, because there are dress rehearsals for what is to come. The very next feast is the Feast of Trumpets, and it is the rapture of the church. It is the rapture of the church and the raising of the dead. I will show you so many scriptures make your head spin. You'll beg me to stop. Just kidding. The rapture is what we're going to talk about in the next feast. And then the day of atonement is the time of tribulation, Jacob's trouble, judgment. And it speaks about the second coming of Jesus. Don't confuse the rapture with the second coming of Jesus. And then the second coming occurs and that follows immediately with the last of the feast, tabernacles, where God is with us. What is God trying to tell us? He's been speaking so clearly to us. What is he trying to tell us about what's coming? I believe he's saying, get ready. Get ready. Get ready. You know, he always warns these people. Always warns them before a time of tribulation or judgment. Never does he leave you without. Noah, for 120 years while he's building the ark, Warned everybody there, everybody, but they didn't listen. They didn't listen. They mocked him. And then finally, when the ark was built, Noah went in and it began raining. And do you know that I believe this is correct? I'll have to check my information, but I believe it's correct. Maybe somebody can help me. I believe the ark door stayed open for seven days. Can you help me? Anybody? Seven days. Seven days. Okay. And then God closed the door. Noah didn't close it. How many doors? One. How many years are they going to be in the great tribulation? Seven. Who closes the door? God does. While the rain is falling, they still don't repent. The rain is falling. So the next message is going to be concerning the final three feasts. We want to know what is God saying. And believe me, when I talk next week about the Feast of Trumpets, and I'm going to show you the rapture in the Feast of Trumpets and that it is a dress rehearsal. You do not want to miss next Sunday or the rapture. <laughs> Come on, let's give God praise. Come on. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Let's have every eye closed. Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit that has taught us this morning, opened our eyes to understanding. We see Jesus perfectly, historically fulfilling those four feasts. And Lord, we know that the feast coming will be fulfilled just as accurately. We're excited to know, Lord, exactly what is going to happen. There's such an excitement in us, Lord, because we, we know that we're going to see you face to face. And Lord, I believe that this excitement and this passion within us will help us, motivate us, enthuse us to speak to our friends, our loved ones, and our neighbors about Jesus. Bring them to the Lord. Bring them to Jesus before that Feast of Trumpets begins. Now, Lord, if there's somebody in our midst this morning and they still haven't made Jesus Lord of their life, oh, Holy Spirit, tug on their heart this morning. 
tug on their heart. Lord, if there's someone here who's moved away from God, who's got cold at heart, drifted from God, tug on their hearts, Lord, in this dramatic time in our life and season, draw them back, draw them back. While every eye's closed and no one's moving, I want to just appeal to you. I just want to appeal to you. If you haven't made Jesus Lord of your life, do it today. Wherever you are, just raise your hand and say, pray for me, Pastor Henry. I need to make Jesus Lord. I need to give my life to Christ. I need to give my life over to Christ. I'm looking in the VIP room. I'm looking at the main auditorium. Is there anybody? Today is your day. You want to give your life to the Lord. Make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. Jesus fulfilled every one of those feasts. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the Son of the living God. And one day you will see Him face to face. One day you'll see Him as your loving King and Savior. Or one day you'll face Him as judge. Which is it going to be? It's up to you. If you'd like to receive the Holy Spirit this morning, you love Jesus, you're already saved, and you'd like to receive the Holy Spirit, you wave your hand. We're going to pray for you as well so you can receive the Holy Spirit. Thank you for those who are raising their hand. And is there people here this morning you'd like to receive prayer for healing this morning? Because God wants to minister healing. You've heard the healing testimonies, and I know that you know that by the stripes of Jesus you're healed. All right, let's have everybody stand to your feet. Oh, you know what? Thank you, Cindy. I completely forgot. Thank you for reminding me. You know what? I plan to, uh, for us to have communion. Would you like to have communion before you go? Okay, well then be seated in heavenly places. Be seated in heavenly places, okay? All right. So, th- so this was the plan. The plan was to share this with you, and it would be perfectly set up for us to enjoy communion. Now that we've been through the Passover, go ahead and serve them, um, and we'll pray a prayer. So if you love the Lord, please participate. Thank you, Cindy, for reminding me. I got so excited, carried away in the rapture. <laughs> forgot, it, forgot the communion. Forgot the communion. Okay, so Jesus, Jesus said on the day, the day before, this is my body broken for you. And this is the cup of my, my blood, the new covenant. Drink of it, eat of it. So Lord, we bless this communion Lord, we have a greater understanding right now of what you did. And we're so thankful for that Passover. We're so thankful, Lord, for your broken body. And uh, we partake today in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Go ahead and partake.